Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Seem a little weird to be doing Advent and Christmas? Probably actually more accurate, the uh, shepherds, as they kept watch over their flocks by night, it was probably during birthing season. It's probably much actually closer to this time of year than it is actually winter. And let's be honest, if you're a Hallmark Channel fan, they've been doing Christmas in July all month, showing Christmas movies. But it seems a little odd still. But the reason we're here is that last week we closed our quick journey through the Old Testament, looking at the exile Daniel as he spent that night in the lion's den, pointing ahead to Jesus' rest in the tomb. Today we begin the second half of our 10 weeks and look at the New Testament uh, and the high point of human history when God's promised Savior finally came into the world to set his creation right again. But even from the time of Daniel to Jesus, the world was quite different. First, Jerusalem was no longer a deserted wasteland. It's recorded in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that the exiled Jews were permitted to return and rebuild the temple. Uh, A second temple was rebuilt where the first one had stood, uh, and worship and sacrifice were renewed. Now, The time then between the Old and the New Testaments was a few hundred years and was filled with a lot of turmoil. Political turmoil, cultural turmoil, religious turmoil. In the world of politics, it was 63 BC uh, when the mighty Roman Empire that had come into power actually claimed power and authority over the land of Israel. About 60 years later, about 3 BC, the time was right for God to fulfill his ancient promise to Adam and Eve. So God sent an angel to a virgin named Mary. And that angel says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God's son was miraculously conceived uh, in the Virgin Mary. Now, when you and I were conceived, our parents handed down their sinful nature to us. The sinful nature passed down to them originally from Adam and Eve and their offspring as it was passed then from generation to generation. But since Mary was a virgin, Jesus was not contaminated with our sinful nature. But since Mary was a virgin, we also rejoice in that promise that Jesus is still both human and divine. Because he's human, fully human, Jesus is able to submit to the law as our substitute, earning heaven for us by living that perfect life of obedience. His humanity also enabled him to, to be punished, to take that punishment of sin upon himself and to suffer and to die as our substitute. Now, when Mary became pregnant, she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, betrothal is 
something between our engagement and wedding. Like an engaged couple, they lived apart and did not have sexual relations until after their wedding banquet. But like a wedded couple, Joseph and Mary were legally husband and wife. It's why he resolved to divorce her quietly when he finds out she's pregnant. We read about that in uh, Matthew chapter 1 where it says, Joseph being a just man, not willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Luke tells us how Jesus came to be born in Bethlehem uh, instead of Mary's town uh, of Nazareth. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. That fulfilled what the prophecy of Micah had said, that a ruler would come out of Bethlehem, whose origins are from of old, from everlasting. Now, Jesus might quite possibly had been raised in Bethlehem and I guess would have been known as Jesus of Bethlehem, except wise men show up, magi from the east. Following a special star, they brought precious gifts to the child who had been born the king of the Jews. But when paranoid King Herod learned of this, he sought to destroy the Christ child. Now, God warned Joseph in a dream, and Joseph took Mary and Jesus by night and escaped to Egypt. They were there a couple years, and after Herod's death, they returned to raise Jesus in Nazareth, their original hometown. That's why Jesus is called Jesus of Nazareth. As he matured, Joseph taught him that family trade, Jesus becoming a carpenter. He likely did that work through his early adult years and knew that labor and hard work with his hands became part of his life too. Jesus was about 30 and it was time for him to begin his public ministry. So the Holy Spirit prompted him to go down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist, his cousin, was carrying on his ministry. We'd read about in the beginning of our lesson, uh, in the beginning of the Gospels, how God had raised up and and given uh, a child to his parents. And John grows up with a specific role to prepare the Jews for their Savior's coming. John warned the Jews of their sins, their need for a Savior. He baptized them as a sign of repentance 
Baptism isn't just Christian at that time. It was a common thing for many people to do for their disciples. It's not Christian baptism, but it was more a symbolic of repentance. He told them that the king was coming. The kingdom of God was at hand. Repent. Turn around. And then Jesus comes to be baptized. Now, John tried to prevent him, knowing that Jesus had no sin. But Jesus assured him this was God's plan. And so John consented and baptized him. But why? Why was Jesus baptized? As we said, he didn't have any sin in himself for which to repent or to be washed. Well, we really can't understand Jesus' baptism unless we see it connected to his entire ministry and his suffering and death on the cross. Now, John the Baptist actually helps us here. After baptizing Jesus, while John was standing with his disciples by the Jordan River, he sees Jesus passing by, and he pointed to Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Jesus' baptism and ours, God makes this great exchange. Jesus enters that water spotless, pure, sinless. We enter the waters of baptism covered with sin. In that water, Christ took our sins and guilt on himself. Already at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is connecting himself with our sins to suffer the punishment we deserved, satisfying God's wrath, destroying forever our sins. We now, in our baptisms, are baptized into his death. Just as we can never separate Jesus' baptism from the cross, we cannot separate our baptisms from the cross. The Apostle Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 6. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Yes, the cross and the empty tomb are ours in Jesus Christ. Do you hear Paul's confidence in them? We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's why, as Christians, funerals are such a strange thing. We both sorrow at a funeral while at the same time rejoice. Because God does not have the last word. We rejoice that as Christians, we know that when we die, we will walk in newness of life in heaven forever. It's both and. It's that grief, but also that celebration in victory. All because of Jesus 
and the victory that he won for us on the cross. Now, there's another thing about Jesus' baptism. Matthew shares right after his baptism what happened as Jesus was coming up out of the water. Uh, He writes, Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The descent of the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism is why we call Jesus the Christ. Christ is the Greek translation for a Hebrew word Messiah, both of which mean which anointed one. When Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, God the Father was equipping him to carry on his ministry, to take away the sins of the world for all humanity. In our baptism. Holy Spirit enters us as well, making our bodies temples of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? That's why Paul writes, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? God dwells in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's why we're called to to honor God with our bodies. God is uniquely and specially and wonderfully located within us. Sustaining our life. Creating and sustaining faith by his word and sacraments. Connecting us to Jesus Christ and that life that we live with him now and forever. It's why we honor God with our bodies. Bodies matter to God. Your body matters to God because he chooses to dwell in your body. He will raise that body perfect and spotless. God the Father declared his approval of every thought and word and deed of Jesus Christ, his son, through his entire earthly life. And in baptism, God has credited that perfect spotless life to each of us. By Jesus, through his perfection and that gift of his righteousness now given to you, Those same words of God that God spoke about Jesus are spoken about you and are equally true. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. With whom, with you, I am well pleased. For Jesus' sake, amen.